everyone, this is Sarah from The Journey and welcome to another episode of My Journey. Now today's episode is probably one of the most emotionally raw ones we've dealt with and I think it's pretty brave that this person is sharing their journey with us. Now today's episode is with the lovely Claire Holt. Now Claire has been extraordinarily brave to share so publicly her struggles with miscarriage, with postnatal depression and extreme anxiety through pregnancy and post. Unfortunately, these are all things that many of us go through in various different sh shapes and forms along the journey. And I think Claire has been extremely real um, and very brave to show this level of vulnerability. And hopefully when you listen to it, it will make you feel slightly less alone. Claire also shares with us some of the things she's learned and tools um, to cope. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Um, I think it's truly powerful and really wonderful. So we hope you enjoy. Hi, Claire. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. I'm happy to chat. And just so everyone knows, this is a proper transatlantic recording. There is currently 10 hours time difference between us. I'm in Israel and Claire is in LA. Yes, miraculous. Uh, so that we made it work, but we're here. I know. <laughs> Technology. Uh, it's like late night here and early morning for Claire. So we're like in completely different zones, but we're going to make it work anyway. Yes. Um, so... Claire, yes. thank you so much for joining us. Now, we are all about the modern working woman, the modern career girl, and you have certainly got quite a career. Oh, thank you. But can you, um, for people who maybe are not so familiar with you and what you've been up to, can you just give a little bit of an introduction as to who Claire is, what you've been doing, and what you're all about? For sure. Um, well, my name's Claire Holt. I am 31 years old. I'm going to make that public. I'm sure people know actually how old I am. Um, and I am from Australia and I moved to the United States oh, 11 years ago now um, to pursue a career in acting. And up until this point, thankfully, I have been working and employed. Uh, and, and yep, oh, that's always good. And then now I am a mother to a beautiful little boy called James. So talking of the lovely James, um, I think one of the things that people struggle with a little bit more these days is kind of working out when the right time is, you know, we're all trying to kind of, and, and it's great, by the way, you know, women have got so many more opportunities and the dynamics change a lot, but sometimes it is something we kind of like juggle about when's the right time, when are we ready, when are we financially ready, when, sure. when are we ready in our careers? So can you talk to us a little bit about started on your motherhood journey and what was it that made it the right time for you do you think you know I just felt like I had a really wonderful partner and I wanted to build a family with him and you know in terms of my career it, it was hard because I had always had this opinion that you know you have to keep working and you have to strike while the iron's hot and if you take any time off then you know, you're basically saying goodbye to your career and, and there's this mentality that you have to keep hustling in order to maintain what you built. And so that was quite a frightening prospect for me, but I also, my entire life, I've wanted to have children. Um, you know, I come, I'm one of four, I have, my dad's one of 10, I have 45 first cousins. I come from a really big family and oh it's something, 
yeah 45 yeah so many you remember everyone's names be honest yeah I think I do there's there's a new round of them popping up that uh, (laughs) I'm not entirely familiar with but definitely there's sort of core 25 to 30 that I really grew up with I know them all very well so but it was amazing we had this little tribe and I just loved being part of this big family and and so I I always knew that it was something that I wanted for myself but you know there are so many things that you have to think about in terms of your mental readiness your financial capabilities and and also to be a good parent is really hard work you know anyone can become a parent but to do it the way that I wanted to do it um I knew would take a, like a lot of sacrifice and um so but I met my lovely husband and we pretty quickly decided that it was time for us to start trying and um I never I didn't anticipate how the process would be um I'd been on birth control my whole life obviously and uh avoided getting pregnant and so I wasn't sure how it was going to work when I came off the birth control and and needless to say it was quite difficult in terms of regulating my body again and um and that was something that was unexpected but uh we were pretty fortunate in the sense that once I did get my period back after about six months um we conceived quite quickly well that's good and I I think that's an interesting point is I and you said something that just really resonated with me I I basically spent my entire like you know late teens and and 20s being totally paranoid about getting was like like it was like drilled into you at school. And I just always remember these, like, you know, they made You it, always like, think you can sneeze, right? And get pregnant. Yes. Like, that easy. <laughs> and then they kind of don't really tell you that actually it can be really, really difficult. Um, uh-huh. And I also think that, um, you know, at least in my experience, when everyone was kind of going on birth control, when, you know, they're in their late teens, early 20s, people didn't really talk about the fact that actually it can take your body quite a long time to really recover from those synthetic hormones that they put into you. Sure. So, I, And I, def- I never even thought twice about going on birth control. It was something that everybody did. And yeah. um, I went on birth control at 16 years old and I was on it until I was, I guess we started trying to conceive when I was 29. So I was on it for a really long time. And I've always had like quite a good experience. I, I never really suffered on birth control. I, um, I didn't get my period that frequently on it. And, but you know, I didn't have like crazy hormonal issues. So I was happy at the time, but when I came off it, I had some really rough, like withdrawal type symptoms. Um, oh, wow. Like so crazy after- sweating and ugh, it was all awful, but it regulated finally. And did you, after you had James, did you go back onto regular birth control or did you use alternative methods? No, I didn't because I made the decision that I didn't want to use hormonal birth control again. Um, not, look, I, I absolutely think there's a place for it. And I think that it's important for people to be really um, conscious about their family planning and, and make decisions that are right for their family. So I'm not saying that it's terrible and it definitely worked for me for a long time but I decided that it was not going to be something that I wanted to sort of entertain after I had James so we just used other methods yeah fair enough well in fact that's a very similar journey to mine as well um but again as you say each to their own I think it's just the key thing is I guess awareness that actually there can be some uh, time that it takes your body to adjust because they are essentially artificial hormones. Right. Now, did you, um, so you didn't really have any major concerns about conception? 
um you just you just kind of like came off got your body regulated and went for it right yes I didn't really I think um I, I hadn't I was relatively healthy at the time I didn't have any major medical issues I knew that I was sort of young enough that there weren't going to be those post 35 year old you know fear mongering things that came up um, yeah and and so I just sort of I also wasn't desperate for it to happen that very second. So um, I, I just was more relaxed, I think. I think once it took time for my body to regulate, then I started to become a little concerned. I started sort of to get my hormonal panel done and I had my blood work done. And obviously I did um, some of the genetic testing that you can do preconception. And I, that helped me to uh, feel informed and, and it definitely um, put my mind is knowing that okay there's nothing majorly wrong here that could cause any issues uh but yeah I I certainly wasn't really stressed about conceiving and I didn't go all out trying to you know remove all the toxins from my diet and and which now I know I probably should have done uh (laughs) but but it, it was more of a relaxed process for me well, that's good. Um, it's always good to be relaxed. It's always something I struggle with. So I do yeah. love it when I actually manage it occasionally. Um, now, so you obviously get pregnant mm-hmm. uh, and you've been extremely brave, I think, to share so publicly um, your story of well, what happened you. after this, because it's something that's very personal and something that's definitely not easy for people to talk about. But I think that... Um, well, I know from people looking at people's reaction to you that it's certainly been very welcomed, you being so open about what happened to you. Mm-hmm. I think that it's one of these things that understandably often gets brushed under the carpet, not brushed under the carpet, right. but understandably people don't want to open up and talk about it. It's completely fair enough. But I think there can be a lot of comfort um, for people hearing other people's stories. For so sure. if you wouldn't mind, could you um, just talk to us a little bit about what happened next? Yeah, of course. Ex- so, so I conceived uh, about the second cycle after my period came back, so relatively quickly. We were so thrilled and excited. Um, I didn't sort of have any warning signs. I didn't have any bleeding or anything that would make me think that there was something sinister going on. Um, we went in for a six-week ultrasound, so quite early. Um, my doctor at the time, who was a gynecologist but didn't actually deliver babies, um, said to come in and, and we could check to find a heartbeat and we got one and we were thrilled and, and, you know, I felt tired and a little sick, nothing crazy, but definitely felt pregnant for sure. And then when I went exploring to find a new uh, OB, I booked in an appointment with someone at, for when I was supposed to be eight weeks based off our six-week ultrasound. And when we went to that ultrasound, the baby hadn't grown much. So he, well, I say he because I have a son now, but whatever the baby was, uh, it was measuring at six weeks, six days, and it had like a little bit of a low heart rate. And so it was quite a tough experience for me because I didn't feel that there was a lot of sympathy offered to me about what, you know, in terms of how this situation might go. Basically, the doctor said it could be 50-50, um, don't put it on Facebook, just come back in two weeks and left did us. They, did they literally say don't put this on Facebook? Yep. 
those exact words. Don't put it on Facebook. And so, look, I think that he was trying to be a little lighthearted about it in the sense that it was early. And I can imagine when you see this day in and day out and it's very common and you understand how common it is, you're not as concerned or it doesn't carry as much weight, right? But for me, as someone who had never been through this before, it was my first pregnancy, you know, I'd been so excited for this baby it was just absolutely gut-wrenching to hear that and we were very confused and it was a, it was a Friday afternoon so you know we went into the weekend not being able to really talk to anyone or follow up with questions and um you know they did some blood work and he ended up calling me back on the Monday and told me my progesterone was low and he put me on some supplements uh and, you know I'd come back and of course at that point I was like well this is not the doctor for me I, I hear lovely things about him from other people were just for me it just didn't really work so well and so uh I went back to my original gynecologist who said I called her of course and I was devastated and she said come back in we'll check I don't know you know that seems that doesn't seem right come in and we'll do another ultrasound so I went back in she did another ultrasound the baby still had a heartbeat it was measuring a little small but nothing she said she wasn't too concerned you know this could happen and and to stay positive and this that and the other anyway so i'm i'm technically eight weeks at this point i'm measuring six weeks six days um and then when i am technically 10 weeks i go back in for the genetic testing it was actually my husband's birthday and i was really excited i was like this is going to be great obviously i've had no bleeding the baby's fine i don't have any you know, I haven't had any signs that anything's gone wrong. So let's go in and see the baby on your birthday. It'd be great. And of course we go in and there was no heartbeat at that appointment. And it was this just earth shattering, soul crushing devastation that I've never felt my entire life. Um, when that happened, I, I truly still to this day, like I can recall it so vividly how I felt and I can't possibly describe what that felt like to someone who hasn't been through it um, because, and I'm, you know, I, I go back now that I have a son and I think, was it more difficult because I didn't have a baby and I wasn't sure if I was ever going to be able to have one. And I think potentially that is true, uh, but it was just heartbreaking. And so I decided to have a DNC. Um, I think actually I was close to 11 weeks at this point. So I decided to have a DNC and uh, the next day, I went into surgery. My gynecologist was amazing and beautiful and wonderful and held my hand through it all. And it, it was an awful process, but she did an incredible job. You know, I had very little bleeding afterwards. I felt quite normal. I wasn't in any real pain. And um, it took a few sort of weeks for my hormones to regulate. And then my cycle came back five-ish weeks later. And, you know, I went through that process of, of healing and grieving and, and, you know, my husband was so incredible because he lost a baby as well, but he was just so concerned about me and my well-being, and he was incredibly supportive. And I can imagine it's very difficult as a man to understand what your partner is going through in that moment or for anyone to understand what, what someone is going through in that moment. But he it really brought us much closer together. Um, but I just had this overwhelming desire to share it with people um, I was afraid to do it and I was nervous that there was going to be some kind of pushback and, and I would get some negativity and that people would think I was doing it for attention. But when I did have my miscarriage, 
I immediately went to the internet and all I did was search for message boards and websites and, and blog posts from people who had been through it before and could tell me what I was feeling was normal and could tell me that those like feel, feelings of depression would pass because, you know, it, it took a while for me to get over that depression. It, it wasn't something I think I was dealing with like the hormone drop as well and, you know, sort of kind of a postpartum blues as well as the, the massive loss that we we felt um and I just wanted to I didn't want to feel alone in that and I I felt so guilty I felt like it was my fault that it happened and I was desperate for someone else to tell me that they felt the same way and when I found this community online of people who were open about what they experienced and who shared those same feelings I felt so much less alone so after that I really felt compelled to do the same thing and to hopefully just help one person or anyone who was in the same boat as me to feel like, you know, no matter how you're experiencing this and no matter what you've been through, there are people out there who understand. And um, I think I was just so overwhelmed and surprised by the response that I got, not just the immense amount of love that I felt from everyone in my community and, and people outside of my community um, telling me that they thought about me and they cared about me and, and could they help? And they just sent so much love and it was such a beautiful thing, but also so many people shared their story and it came from people who'd had miscarriages themselves or um, husbands or sisters, brothers, partners, so many people. I think that to this day, there's something like 40,000 comments on the post from people sharing what they experienced too. And I just found this immense healing from um, this collective vulnerability and it was such a beautiful thing and it really helped me move past what I went through I mean it's well it's incredible the fact that you did this because it's a very brave thing but as you say I think that you know in the case of miscarriage but I also think in kind of other elements as well so if people are struggling to conceive and for sure no, it's it's that feeling that you say of of feeling like you're alone and I and feeling misunderstood because I think that unless you're going through these things yourself, mm-hmm. you, I mean, it's it's you don't it's kind really, of you know even myself before I had a miscarriage, I was guilty of being a little flippant about the experience and you know my mum had had two and I'd spoken to her about it before and. And I, I just had always been like, well, you know, obviously your body did what it was meant to do and, and that baby wasn't going to be healthy. And I, I saw it from this very sort of pragmatic standpoint and I didn't ever think about how it emotionally takes such a tremendous toll on people and how it feels like as significant as the, the loss of someone who is alive and well. Like for me, that's how she, it felt. Do you know, it's really interesting because literally over the last kind of couple of weeks there's been a a big study it's a huge proper study it was done um actually by the american um gynecology association Mm -hmm. and it is actually addressed to the medical community really um as in medical practitioners and what it says and what it shows is that actually women that experience miscarriage have or as many as 30 percent have post-traumatic stress disorder as a result oh wow rates of depression and what this paper is saying effectively to kind of medical practitioners is this is something that has to be taken extremely seriously because I think as you said you know the doctor who told you not to put it on Facebook 
I mean, they become, and I guess it's part of their job to become desensitized sure. to this, but, but they don't, I mean, the, I think you, I think we can't underestimate how that feels. And I think that you also hit on something um, that's common with kind of infertility more generally, and also miscarriage, this feeling that it's your fault, which yeah. obviously it is not, right. but it is something that I think, especially as women, you know, we, we have this tendency to kind of blame ourselves for things, you know, whether or not it's our body's not cooperating because we've got endometriosis or PCOS, mm -hmm. we can't get pregnant or we're having miscarriage. And I think that that on top of, you know, feeling lost or something can be absolutely crushing to people. And For sure. And it, I think there's these really archaic gender roles that still kind of influence how men and women are perceived right and women are supposed to be the child bearers and and your body is supposed to do this or so you think whether you can rationally like look at it and say well that's a, that's crazy and and you know that's old-fashioned and this that and the other I think internally as a woman I know personally I always believed well I'm I'm want to have children so I'm gonna have babies and that's what my body's gonna do and that's what I'm made for and so when you can't do that or you somehow feel like you failed at this thing that you're supposed, you were born to do and you're biologically made to do, that's a huge defeat. That's really crushing. Um, you know, it's, it's not just a small failure or it doesn't feel like a small failure. And I'm certain that it's the same for people who struggle with infertility, um, particularly because sometimes there are just no answers with, in that, you know, at least with my miscarriage, I was able to test the tissue because I was far enough along and I could determine that it, well, it, there was something genetically wrong with, with uh, the baby and that it was never going to survive. And, and I got some closure from that. But I imagine it's, it's completely crushing to have to go through a fertility journey and, and not understand what's wrong and why you can't get pregnant. So um, you obviously talked about how helpful it was for you to read other people's stories and relate <laughs> to other people. Um, can you tell us as well about any other things that you found along the way that helped you heal? Because I think, as you say, like people who go through this, um, it's quite hard for other people to kind of help out. And, yes. And do, you know, a, it has to be someone that understands mm -hmm. and, and B, there's probably many things that you have to do in order to, to yes. heal. So can you talk to us a little bit about your healing process from it? What helped you, even something that like hindered you that you looked at that you wish you hadn't, mm -hmm. like anything that maybe people who are listening to this and, and might need some help themselves can maybe, you know, draw on from your own experience. So obviously finding a community was hugely important for me and, and finding people that I could share my experience with. Um, therapy for me has always been very important, being able to be open and discuss things and not burying what I was feeling. I also uh, didn't want to feel like I, there were part, you know, for probably the five weeks until I got my period back, I bet I could barely get out of bed. Like I felt truly depressed and I had a lot of my family in town um, and I couldn't even come out of my bedroom. I, I didn't feel like I was up to talking or socializing or doing any of those things. And allowing myself that time to feel that was really important because I think if I'd have tried to put on a brave face and get on with my life, I'm not sure I would have grieved it properly. Um, I also think that it, it's a long process and of course always I believe time heals all wounds and it you know you never fully get over something but time offers you perspective and and it removes you from like the emotional height of the situation so definitely taking time to feel it and go through it was important and then also 
after it happened and I knew how devastated my husband was and I said to him, you know, we'll just try again right away. Don't worry. We'll go right. We'll try right away and it's okay. And I wasn't ready for that. And it, that wasn't something that was going to work for me. And I realized that quite quickly and I took my time to, to conceive again. Um, and I to, or to feel ready to conceive again. And I let myself do all the things that, you know, when you're pregnant, you can't do. I went out and had fun with my friends. I exercised really hard and I did some, you know, hard runs and high intensity stuff. And I kind of started to get my body back a little bit, not physic, not in terms of like how it appeared, but just how I felt physically. And then I decided uh, about, I believe it was three cycles later, but because my cycles were irregular after the miscarriage, it was about five months later. That was when I felt like I was ready to potentially try again. Um, but I knew that I didn't want to try actively. I knew that even if it took me a little longer, I needed to be relaxed about the process. And luckily I went on, I just worked in China for a month. I was exhausted and so ready for a vacation. And, um, I went, to Italy with my husband and we conceived on our vacation. So, but we were very, very fortunate that, you know, both times it was quite quick and we didn't have to struggle with the timing and planning and the two week wait and, and wondering if this was it, you know, I, I'm really lucky in that sense. Uh, but I got pregnant with James in July of 2018. So basically the key takeaway is that we should be going to Italy and having yes. pasta and pizza and, and like drinking tons of two wine. bottles of wine to yourself <laughs> a day that I probably do. When I found out I was pregnant, I was like, oh God, I've pickled this poor child. I've drank <laughs> so much wine on this trip. You know, thankfully I found out early enough that it didn't, you know, make a difference. But uh, it, it definitely, I, and I, I think it's so annoying when people say, oh, just relax and it'll happen when you relax. But in my experience, when I didn't stress and I didn't plan and I just relaxed, I, I conceived. Do you think that um, you were able to be a little bit more relaxed because you found out what the cause of the miscarriage For was? Sure. And For also, sure. how did you go about finding out what the cause was were they very kind of proactive did you have to push for it can you tell us a no, little bit so, about so my gynecologist at the time who doesn't deliver babies or you know she, she would be the OB I recommend to the entire world because she was just so delicate and wonderful in the way she handled it but at the time she was amazing and she said look here are all of the options and one option is to let the the baby passed naturally. Um, another option is to have a DNC. I re recommend that option because sometimes, you know, not all the tissue passes and we have to do a DNC anyway. With the DNC, the process is a little quicker. We can make sure that everything's okay and we can test the tissue. And if it's important for you to know what might have gone wrong uh, in this pregnancy, we can find that out for you. And of course, being the person that I am, I wanted to know immediately what it was. I needed a reason. I was desperate for a reason. And um, when she tested the tissue, uh, we found out um, that it, it was just a chromosomal abnormality and it was not, uh, it was quite rare in terms of the abnormalities that occur um, in, in pregnancy and the ones that cause miscarriages and the chances of it happening again were very low. And that gave me a lot of relief because I went into my journey trying to conceive James a little more relaxed that this probably wouldn't happen again. And that was a really great thing for me. And so in my experience, I'm, I'm so glad I had the DNC. I'm so glad that I tested the, the um, tissue because it just gave me the closure that I needed to move on. 
Yeah, I can absolutely imagine that that would have been a weight lifted off your shoulders. But when you got pregnant again, I'm mm-hmm. sure of your experience, you, I mean, when I think even if you haven't had that experience, the first few weeks of pregnancy are inherently anxious because you're kind of waiting in your heartbeat. Is it still, you know, pre 12 weeks is still a risky time. And it must be even, I I mean, I would imagine it's even more um, of an anxious time for somebody who's experienced what you have. Yeah, I was terrified. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that was and how, again, any tips that you, you know, found helpful to, you know, deal with a lot of the anxiety that would inevitably come with, you know, the first trimester of being pregnant post miscarriage? So what I will say is it lasted my entire pregnancy, the anxiety, unfortunately. Um, When I became pregnant, I was taking, you know, I took a test every day to make sure the line was getting darker. And then every, every wet time I would go into the doctor's office for an ultrasound or a test, my blood pressure would be through the roof because I was just so anxious. And I was quite traumatized by the experience of having the ultrasound and seeing the baby in there without the flicker of the heartbeat that I just was terrified that that was going to happen again. And uh, I felt really, really sick in during the first trimester of that pregnancy. And I you know, took comfort. I'm not sure. I'm sure this is an old wives tale and I don't know if there's any science behind this, but I was like, okay, well maybe if I'm this sick, then my hormone levels are higher and perhaps this is a healthy pregnancy. And I just sort of coached myself through the process, uh, whilst trying to allow myself time and grace and, you know, not push the feelings away. I did a lot of meditation, um, and I did a lot of sort of positive mantras, but really to be honest the experience of the miscarriage absolutely deeply impacted my pregnancy with James and it made it really tough for me and I was always waiting for bad news and every time the phone rang from the doctor I thought she was going to tell me something was wrong and even up to you know at the 20 week anatomy scan I was certain that there was going to be a birth defect or something that they would find and um you know just throughout the entire process, each milestone I would hit, I would become nervous for the next uh, milestone. And, you know, okay, first I wanted to get to viability. And then when I got to viability, I wanted to try and get to 28 weeks and or thriveability. And then every single milestone, I was just like, but there's one more. And, and sadly, at the end of my pregnancy, I heard a story about um, a woman who you know was going into labor and she was contracting and the cord you know something happened and you know it was sadly tragically a stillbirth and so of course I was like okay well that's going to happen to me that's for sure what's going to be my story and there's no way I'll be given a healthy child because that's you know uh, of course I won't that's not in on the cards for me and it was really really tough and and I just think that the only thing that helped was being open with my husband about how I was feeling being open with friends um therapy counseling talking through my feelings recognizing that there were thoughts and they weren't my reality and trying to challenge those thoughts like all of that was really important but you know this amazing chiropractor that I see in LA Dr. Elliot Berlin talked to me about an experience he had at one point with his wife and he said this this thing to me that really resonated which was honestly Claire sometimes you just don't believe it's going to happen until the baby's in your arms and that's okay And, you know, even after I had my baby, I still couldn't believe it. I still couldn't believe that they were here. And so I think I just allowed myself 
to feel anxious and say, okay, this is, this is what's happening for me right now. This is part of the process for me. And it's probably not going to go away until I have the baby. And then of course you have the baby and then you become desperately anxious about all of the million other things <laughs> that happen after. Yeah. I think, you know, I've always been an inherently anxious person. Um, I've struggled with that a lot in my life. And so that was just magnified throughout the journey. I think that some people have amazing blissful pregnancies and they don't experience that. But more often than not, people are anxious and people are frightened and they want to make sure that everything's okay. And so the only thing that I would suggest is talking about it and sharing and being open because feeling normal and feeling like you have someone to talk to really makes a difference. I think that's really good advice. And it sounds also like you kind of tried to be kind to yourself and tried to accept how you were feeling rather than fighting it, which often we right. try and fight and it doesn't really help. Makes us and I think worse. I've learned from my so, many, many years of therapy, which I believe is so important if, if you're able to, or you have access to it, you know, you have to, you can't judge yourself. It's re- everyone has struggles and everyone has these mental roadblocks and, and you just have to acknowledge what they are and look at them from, a detached perspective and not become so emotionally invested in it. And that's what I tried to do. And I just tried to give myself grace and say like, of course I'm anxious. I had a really bad experience and it's human nature to be anxious after a bad experience that you're going to have it again. Um, But, you know, thankfully I have a beautiful little baby boy and he made it earthside and he's perfect and wonderful. So I'm, you know, a happy ending to that story. Well, that's so great to hear. Now, I know it's really hard to say and project into the future, but do you think that now that you have had James, if you were to have another child, do you feel like you would be anxious again? Or do you think that, especially with the kind of techniques that you learned through your pregnancy with James, do you feel like you'd be better equipped if you were going to have another? It's hard for me to say because I, I don't know what miscarriage is like when you already have a child. My only experience with miscarriage is... I didn't have another baby and I didn't know that I would ever be able to have one. I think now that I have my son um, and I'm so fortunate to have him, I feel that perhaps if I were to face that again, I would be a better equipped to cope with it. And B, I would also be able to hold on to the fact that I have a beautiful child and I'm so lucky. And there are some people out there who really don't. Um, I certainly think that going through an experience allows you to be better prepared the next time for anything, Um, you know, be that pregnancy and then the postpartum period, you know, like after I had James, I really struggled for three months, the first three months postpartum, I had tremendous anxiety and I really didn't cope very well um, with, you know, the, the sort of hormone drop and then the lack of sleep and then worrying that every little thing that I did was going to hurt him or something was going to happen to him. And I think now knowing that, that was my experience. I can be prepared for that going forward. Um, and I can sort of tell myself when I'm in it, uh, that it will pass. And it, this is how you normally feel. And it's a phase. And once you start to sleep again, and once you, once they get a little older and, and they're, you know, a little more durable, it's easier. And, um, so yes, I think that it, it would be a different experience. I can't say a hundred percent, Um, but I just think that I'm a little better prepared now in terms of coping skills. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I have to agree. Like the the lack of sleep thing drives anyone crazy. There's a reason why. Yeah, it, it as a really form of is. Torture. It's so crazy. And you know, I had this thing where I was so terrified that James would suffocate um, because you read everywhere. You know, SIDS is a is a terrible, terrible thing. And you know, your baby ha- can't be swaddled um, when they're starting to show signs of rolling over. And in my head, I was like, well, what if he accidentally rolls or something and someone doesn't see him and I'm asleep? Or what if I'm so tired, I don't notice something and I would wake up in the middle of the night and grab my hun's- husband's face and rip it off the pillow because I was sure he was suffocating too. <laughs> and it was this crazy thing oh, no. where, where I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Go back to sleep. I'm sorry. I just thought you were suffocating. And you know, literally at least three times a night I would say for the first six to eight weeks I did that to him the poor guy's a saint I thought I thought for sure I'd end up on that tv show snapped but the other way around <laughs> he snapped to me but uh he was obviously amazing about it but it you know it really it permeated every experience that I had um and so that along with the sleep deprivation it just it's rough or at least it was for me and I'm very open and honest when I talk to people I know obviously again everyone is different some people have a blissful magical postpartum experience I certainly didn't and I'm very open about that too because you know you're so desperate to have this baby and you're so anxious just to get the baby out and to have the baby in your arms and then all of a sudden you're hit with this wave of oh my gosh I can't do this this is the hardest thing I've ever done I'm not made for this I'm not cut out for this I'm not equipped for this this is horrifying and so I think being prepared is like quite important and being open about the fact that some women feel that way and if you don't bond with your baby the very second it comes out of your body and that you don't feel so like an incredible mother and that you're meant to do this that's cool too because it comes you know I'm I, I'm so glad you're sharing this because I do feel like um, there's this whole kind of notion that as soon as you've had the baby, the baby's presented and you're supposed to feel this rush of love. But I have to confess, when, when I my son was presented to me, I, I was like looking at him like, who is this strange child? Uh-huh. Like, I actually like no connection at all. Yeah, it's, um, it's odd. I, it's strange. I felt, I was like, who is this person? I I just felt like I didn't know him at all. And I thought to myself, gosh, I should probably not tell anyone (laughs) about this because this is, this is not ideal. This is not good. I'm supposed to feel amazing. And it's so, it's it's great. I think that you are being so open that the kind of postnatal period can be so tough because I mean, a lot of what you said resonated for me and I, I didn't even have the traumatic experience you had before. And I think that what you're saying will probably resonate with a lot of women. I hope so. Um, And I think it's great. There's so much pressure, you know, I think to, to do, to feel like you know what you're doing and you've got it together. And I certainly felt that way with breastfeeding as well. I really struggled breastfeeding and I had placed this tremendous pressure on myself. That was something that I really wanted to do and, and I had to do it. And it was the most important thing in the world for my son's health and my son's well-being, And that's all that mattered. And it didn't matter about my emotional uh, mental health. And uh, you know, I just had to make sure I could do this. And we absolutely struggled. He had issues latching and, and um, you know, I had, I struggled with um, allergy issues with him and, and he was just, it was so hard for us. And this pressure that I placed on myself to do that properly. And then also, you know, feeling the anxiety about, his health and and feeling anxiety about 
how I was coping and the lack of sleep, all of that stuff combined, it was literally like this massive explosion and I could not cope. And so I think that the I really want to challenge these pressures that women place on themselves to do it all perfectly and to do it right. And guess what? My son's formula fed now and he's perfect. He's awesome. He's happy. And people said that to me and I was like, okay, well, that's good for you, but that's not my journey. And so I'm going to keep forcing myself to do this and we're going to keep working at it. And, and it just, we couldn't, I couldn't do it. It didn't work for us. And I was sacrificing my uh, mental health tremendously trying to make something happen that actually in fact wasn't good for him and it was making him sick and he was really struggling with it so um I think that's another thing that I is really important for me to be vocal about um the fact that you have to do what works for you and your family you have to do what works for you like individually because you can't be a good mother if you're so obsessed with with being perfect for someone else and um that's something that I really want to you know drive home from my experience, as soon as I started to let go of those preconceived notions and pressures, I automatically became a better version of myself and I was able to be better for my son. Well, I think that's, again, such an important message. You know, we, as a society, we are so kind of, I, I feel like it's increasingly that we're supposed to be perfect mm-hmm. and we strive to be the best absolutely everything and I mean I actually really relate to your issues of breastfeeding I I literally ended up killing myself yeah it felt like to make it work and it, it also really did not work very well for us and I ended up you know pumping and he had formula and I had a lot of emotions around that which you do and I think that you know part of it is this this desire to be perfect and then when we don't feel like we're being perfect we beat ourselves up and you get into this yeah, vicious sure. cycle so how do you feel like so what were some of the things that you, I guess, the tools that you've picked up that, that helped you cope with that initial period, you know, when you were feeling overwhelmed or, or not even necessarily the tools, but what were some of the things that helped pull you out of, of that phase, well, I, do you think? Well, I saw my therapist every week. Uh, at the beginning, I FaceTimed her because uh, I couldn't get to the office. I just, it worked for me to duck into my bedroom and FaceTime when he was having an apple you know, when I wasn't feeding and that was perfect. And that was so helpful because a lot of the time I would tell her what I was feeling and she would say to me, guess what? That's so normal. Or actually Claire, it's not that normal to feel that way. And let's talk about why you're feeling that way. And let's challenge those thoughts. So that really, really helped me. And I cannot say it enough. If you are able to, if you have access, if, you know, I know sometimes you can see a therapist through insurance. There's nothing to be shamed of. It's so important for your mental health to be able to talk about it. And if you don't have access to a therapist, find someone that you can talk to, find a community, find another mother. Um, You know, you don't have to go to those mummy and me's while they're great for some people. Other people just don't feel comfortable in that environment. That's fine. But as long as you have an outlet, I think that's important. And then obviously like hindsight's a beautiful thing, isn't it? You know, going forward, um, if I'm lucky enough to bring another baby into this world, I will know that it's really freaking hard for the first three months and you're so tired. But, you know, 
for me around six weeks he dropped one of those night feeds and I started to get a little bit of a longer stretch and then I realized you know what pumping in the night's actually great because someone else can give him a bottle and I can just pump and go back to sleep because I found like after breastfeeding him I couldn't go back to sleep for 45 minutes to an hour I was quite wired I was awake that was hard for me so I just found things that started to work for me and also it's so hard to do but people say like Sleep when the baby sleeps. Everything else will wait. And I think that's really important. Just try if you can to just close your eyes for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Sleep makes everything much better and easier to handle if if you rested. And then, you know, I took people up on their offers to help. And my mum was amazing and she was in town. And, you know, when Andrew was at work, she'd say, okay, go and get a manicure, which, of course, you feel very guilty about. And you're like, I shouldn't be doing that. I should be looking after my own child. And I wanted to have this baby and this is my responsibility. But just taking 45 minutes to go and be by yourself or be around other adults and, like, breathe and listen to a podcast just feels so recharged. So I think I have all those tools in my arsenal and going forward, I'll know like, okay, those are really important things for me to use. And guess what? If breastfeeding works for me next time, awesome. If it doesn't work for me, no problem at all. I'm going to give my baby formula and my baby's going to be perfect and that's fine. And it's okay to do that. And I'm not going to listen to the noise about the pressures that people face. And I'm not going to follow every single Instagram account that tells me that breastfeeding is the only thing to do and that I should keep fighting and I should keep doing all those things. I'm just going to do me. And I think, um, that just makes the whole process so much easier. I think that's really, really great advice. So it's basically kind of, again, being kind to yourself, finding support, talking about it. um, And and there are people there to help. And actually it's like giving into that request, well, giving into people saying that they want to help and actually Mm -hmm. letting them help. Because again, I think they... We sometimes try and be super women. Now, you also mentioned something that, in fact, we've talked about before anyway, um, the infamous yes. mum guilt. Um, now, you obviously, as we said at the beginning, you have, you know, your big career and you um, are, are working, you know, you're a working actress now. How do you deal with the whole mum guilt around you know, going back to work, trying to juggle everything, because I mean, speaking from personal experience is something that I find I really struggle with. And I think it's something that a lot of women struggle. Yeah. So if you've got any thoughts uh, or words of wisdom, I think I'm not lot- great at it. Honestly, I really struggle with mum guilt. It's, it's something that I'm constantly trying to work on. It's something that I'm constantly bringing up to the people around me. Um, I'm trying to analyze why I feel the way I feel, uh, why I feel like I should be the one taking care of of my son and no one else should that's crazy you know for many many years children were raised in communities of families there wasn't just one person raising this child so this notion that like we have to do it all that's that's tough and I don't think it's a reality and you know I love my career I love what I do and I really liked who I was before I had my son you know I I was independent and I loved to travel and I loved to work and I loved to, you know, do everything that I wanted to do for me. And so it's definitely a transition when all of a sudden there's this little person that comes into your life that is more important than you are. And that's just how you feel as a parent. Like, of course, you're going to put your child first. And that's a tough adjustment. And I certainly struggled with a little bit of a loss of identity. Um, 
or my own identity after I had James because all of a sudden I was like, hold on a second, I'm not this person that I've known for so long and who am I now and can I have the career that I wanted to have or always dreamed of or will I have to make sacrifices that are not fair on on this child that I brought into the world and so that's something that I still deal with on a daily basis and and to be completely candid I haven't actually gone back to acting yet um, because I haven't really found an opportunity that I'm comfortable with that works for our life Um, I've certainly done other stuff outside of just being on a set um, and I've definitely had to be away from James for you know, up to a week at a time. And that's been very difficult. And I felt tremendous guilt for that. But what I continue to tell myself is I do believe that my son will be proud of me for working hard and going, you know, doing what I can to achieve my dreams. And, and I've never looked at someone, I never looked at someone as a child and thought, wow, they're really selfish for working. I just always thought, oh, wow, that's great. They're, they're doing what they want to do and they're achieving things and, and they're working hard for their family. So I keep telling myself that it's okay to want to do those things. It's okay to still feel attached to my identity and who I was before James. I'm not all of a sudden a different person just because I've had a child. I'm still me and it's okay to do those things as long as I come up with a balance that I'm comfortable with that my husband's comfortable with and that works for our lives. And obviously I've now, I now have rules like, okay, I'm not going to do certain projects because I'm not going to take my child to, you know, Bulgaria for six months and have him away from my husband. I just don't think that's fair. Uh, And so there are changes that I've made, but I'm also committed to going back to work and, and, doing the things that I love because it's important to me and it makes me feel like me. And I think when I do get to do that and I do have that creative and intellectual outlet, I'm a better person again. So it's tough. I I still struggle with it. I still struggle with taking a nap and someone else watching my child. I still struggle when I think, oh my gosh, am I going to be away working and he's going to be sick and I'm not going to be there to take care of him. That's a really hard thing to cope with. And obviously I don't have all the answers and I haven't figured it out yet but I think everyone's probably a work in progress in in that sense and and if you know anyone who has perfected it I'd love to meet them because I need I I have a lot of me too (laughs) but I think what you say is absolutely spot on you know it, it used to be the phrase and I think it still really is you know it takes a village to raise a child and I think again it comes back to this notion that we try and be super people and super women and do everything ourselves and really again it's like acknowledging that you know uh, allowing that help um and not deeming it as us failing at our jobs and and failing in our roles and I I think you know what you said is is very important now you talked quite a bit about how supportive and amazing your husband's been which is so nice how how did you find that your journey that you've gone through um has affected your relationship with him It's a massive change. Like when you bring another person into your relationship, a child, I think you go through this immense transition period and you have to figure out the new normal. And we've definitely had moments where we have to work hard at keeping our relationship strong. You know, certainly immediately postpartum, this little baby needed me all the time. And I was always feeding and I was always, you know, worrying about him and wondering if the baby was okay. And of course my husband felt the same way, but all of a sudden we didn't have the same connection that we had prior to having this baby. And, um, and I had this amazing 
prenatal counseling session actually with Andrew before we had the child. So I was like, okay, we're going to be super prepared. We have a rock solid relationship and we're not going to let anything impact this relationship. And we went in there and she said to us, look, one of the things that happens when you have a child is it's, it's a catastrophic event for your marriage. It can really shake things up. It can be a huge stressor on your marriage. People go in thinking it's going to bring you closer together. And a lot of times it, it pushes you further from each other because you're learning an entire new reality and it's tough. And we were both looking at each other like, uh-huh, okay, well, that might be the, the truth for other people, but that's certainly not us. And then, of course, it was hugely challenging and we had to figure each other out. We had to make time for each other. And, you know, there were times where I was so tired and I just wanted to go to bed, but I knew how important it was to go out to dinner with my husband and to connect with him and to look at each other and, and remember the people that we were before we, we had James. And, and so it's certainly different, um, but I'm really proud of how we've navigated it. And, you know, obviously I think for any relationship, be it with a partner or anyone in your life, communication is just paramount. It's the most important thing. You have to be honest and open and you have to communicate and you have to communicate in a way that's respectful. And um, so that's a big thing for us. And I think we're really good at that. And if you can communicate, you can get ahead of so much. And so I, I felt like we've really um, managed the journey quite well. And, you know, obviously both of us have careers that we are very passionate about and that can be a bit of a challenge and we you know have to make sacrifices for each other in order to to both be able to do what we love but we're working on it and we're trying and and you know we'll we'll see we're certainly not perfect but we're we're working hard but you know what I think it's really important just as you were saying before that like people don't really tell you necessarily how hard it is and what a shock it is in the early days just even with your relationship with your child I think also people don't necessarily or people aren't as open as you've just been about the challenges that happen on most relationships because it it is a massive changing uh, event and I I love the fact that you went to prenatal counselling. I mean, I wish I'd done that. I just feel like everyone should do that. It it, it really was, and it was really helpful just to know, like, even though at the time we were like, well, this isn't a thing for us, after we had the baby, I was like, oh, she was right. Okay, but this is normal. Everyone (laughs) goes through this, and everyone faces this adjustment period, and there's not something wrong with us, and there's not something wrong with me. It's just like a process. And, And, you know, we actually had a list of tools that we could use and recommendations um, about how to tackle the things that, you know, come up. And, and one of the suggestions in it was, you know, take 10 minutes each at night, no phones, no, you know, other people just lie in bed, talk to each other and talk about your day and say what happened and talk about whatever you want to talk about, but just talk and you get 10 minutes each and you have to do it every single day. And it's a way of connecting with each other. And even if, look, if you don't have 10 minutes, if you're too tired, do five. But take the time to be with each other and talk without any distractions. And that was really good for us to be able to have that time. And and that was something that was suggested to us at this session. And it was a tool that we definitely used. I absolutely yeah. love that. I love that. That is going to be Claire's relationship. <laughs> Listen, I'm certainly not. After I'm, the end of this session. No, I'm I think not it's an expert. I think but, it's brilliant. But that was something that someone advised us to do and it was very helpful. Well, I just absolutely love having this conversation with you. I really respect how open you are about so many 
that are challenging and so many things that I think people struggle with and you know struggle with even more because some of them are in the dark and I can't thank you enough for being so honest and open about all of this thank you for having me now before you go we ask all of our guests the quick fire question so you're not escaping I'm not going anywhere I'm here now okay (laughs) okay What's the one piece of advice you give to someone just starting out on their own journey? Um, don't have expectations and don't have a plan because I Great. think that those, that's going to go out the window very quickly and, you know, expectations can lead to disappointments. So as hard as it is, be as relaxed and non-judgmental as you can about the process and um, try not to put pressure on yourself or on your partner or on your situation for it to be any other way than the way it is. Um, and if you can kind of stay present in the moment and just acknowledge that there are going to be, uh, bumps in the road and there are going to be peaks and troughs, like it, it makes it a lot easier. Amazing advice. And it's definitely something if I go around again, I will be <laughs> trying to do. Now, next thing, what was the one product or thing you couldn't live without oh. through your journey? You know what? I'm going to do this. This is just postpartum, but the one thing I cannot live without still to this day is magnetic onesies. You get all of these onesies Ooh. with the little buttons and and, they're so, and you're trying to yes. dress a child after they've had a bath and they're screaming or they're angry or they wanna, they're doing like a crocodile roll and the magnetic onesies are genius because they literally just do up themselves. Just put them in the onesie and, and then in the Love middle it. of the night is awesome as well when you're changing them. I need to get one of those. They're the best. Again, that's for sure. Um, especially with small boys. I've <laughs> learned that the hard way. Um, now, okay, okay, final question. What is the one thing that surprised you the most about having James? You know, it, it's so interesting, but I really believe it's true. It sounds cliche, but the amount that you can love this this being is just something that I can't describe and it didn't come to me immediately like I said it wasn't something that happened as soon as I gave birth to him but the way it's grown and the way that I would literally die for this child is like something I've never experienced before like for example when they're sick and you just would do anything to take their pain away and and I would have gone through like the jump through fire for him and I just never really I of course I like love my husband and he's the most wonderful thing in the world but the love that you have for a child is just something I didn't expect or understand and I think it's the same thing as everything in this journey you never really understand until you go through it but it's such a freaking beautiful thing I could not agree more and it's lucky because sometimes we'd actually kill them if we didn't have that (laughs) sometimes I look at him and I'm like I I love you so much I do not like you right now (laughs) you I could give or take you in this very moment when I'm trying to change your poopy diaper and you're doing the crocodile roll and it's going everywhere like I could (laughs) and it's everywhere it's on your everywhere Claire, thank you so much once again for sharing your you're such a such an open like honest take on on everything you've been through it's just been wonderful to hear and I think a lot of people will again take comfort from from what you shared thank you for giving me a place to share it because I wouldn't be able to if it weren't for people like you so thank you